0: section twenty six of mark twain a biography part one nineteen hundred to nineteen o seven this LibriVox recording is in the public domain mark twain a biography by albert bigelow Payne, chapter two hundred and thirty seven aftermath the announcement of the seventieth birthday dinner had precipitated a perfect avalanche of letters which continued to flow in until the news accounts of it precipitated another avalanche The carrier's bags were stuffed with greetings that came from every part of the world, from every class of humanity. They were all full of love and tender wishes. A card signed only with initials said, God bless your old sweet soul for having lived. Aldrich, who could not attend the dinner, declared that all through the evening he had been listening in his mind to a murmur of voices in the hall at Delmonico's. A group of English authors in London combined in a cable of congratulations. Anthony, Albert Austin, Balfour, Barry, Bryce, Chesterton, Dobson, Doyle, Goss, Hardy, Hope, Jacobs, Kipling, Lang, Parker, Tenniel, Watson, and Zangwill were among the signatures. Helen Keller wrote, and you are seventy years old, or is the report exaggerated, like that of your death? I remember when I saw you last at the house of dear Mr. Hutton in Princeton. You said, if a man is a pessimist before he is forty-eight, he knows too much. If he is an optimist after he is forty-eight, he knows too little now we know you are an optimist and nobody would dare to accuse one on the seven terraced summit of knowing little so probably you are not seventy after all but only forty-seven helen keller was right mark twain was not a pessimist in his heart but only by premeditation it was his observation and his logic that led him to write those things that even in their bitterness somehow conveyed that spirit of human sympathy which is so closely linked to hope. To Miss Keller he wrote, Oh, (laughs) thank you for your lovely words. He was given another birthday celebration that month, this time by the Society of Illustrators. Dan Beard, President, was also Toastmaster, and, as he presented Mark Twain, there was a trumpet note, and a lovely girl costumed as Joan of Arc, entered, and, approaching him, presented him with a laurel wreath. It was planned and carried out as a surprise to him, and he hardly knew for the moment whether it was a vision or a reality. He was deeply affected, so much so that for several moments he could not find his voice to make any acknowledgments. Clemens was more than ever sought now, and he responded, when the cause was a worthy one, He spoke for the benefit of the Russian sufferers at the casino on December 18th. Madame Sarah Bernhardt was also there, and spoke in French. He followed her, declaring that it seemed a sort of cruelty to inflict upon an audience our rude English after hearing that divine speech flowing in that lucid Gaelic tongue. "'It has always been a marvel to me.' that French language, it has always been a puzzle to me. How beautiful that language is, how expressive it seems to be, how full of grace it is, and when it comes from lips like those, how eloquent and how limpid it is and oh i am always deceived i always think i am going to understand it it is such a delight to me such a delight to me to meet madame bernhardt and laugh hand to hand and heart to heart with her i have seen her play as we all have and Oh, that is divine. But I have always wanted to know Madame Bernhardt herself, her fiery self. I have wanted to know that beautiful character. Why, she is the youngest person I ever saw, except myself. For I always feel young when I come in the presence of young people and truly at seventy mark twain was young his manner his movement his point of view these were all and always young a number of palmists about that time examined impressions of his hand without knowledge as to the owner and they all agreed that it was the hand of a man with the characteristics of youth with inspiration and enthusiasm and sympathy a lover of justice and of the sublime. They all agreed, too, that he was a deep philosopher, though, alas, they likewise agreed that he lacked the sense of humor, which is not as surprising as it sounds. For with Mark Twain, humor was never mere fun-making, nor the love of it. Rather, it was the flower of his philosophy, its bloom and fragrance." When the fanfare and drumbeat of his birthday honors had passed by, and a moment of calm had followed, Mark Twain set down some reflections on the new estate he had achieved. The little paper, which forms a perfect pendant to the 70th birthday speech, here follows. Old Age. I think it likely that people who have not been here will be interested to know what it is like. I arrived on the 30th of November, fresh from carefree and frivolous 69, and was disappointed. There is nothing novel about it, n- nothing striking, nothing to thrill you. and make your eye glitter and your tongue cry out, Oh, it is wonderful, perfectly wonderful. Yes, it is disappointing. You say, Is this it, this? After all this talk and fuss of a thousand generations of travelers who have crossed this frontier and looked about them and told what they saw and felt, why, it looks just like sixty-nine. And that is true. Also it is natural, for you have not come by the fast express. You have been lagging and dragging across the world's continents behind oxen." When that is your pace, one country melts into the next one so gradually that you are not able to notice the change. Seventy looks like sixty-nine. Sixty-nine looked like sixty-eight. Sixty-eight looked like sixty-seven, and so on, back and back to the beginning. If you climb to a summit, and look back, ah! And then you see. Down that far-reaching perspective you can make out each country and climate that you crossed, all the way up from the hot equator to the ice summit where you are perched. You can make out where infancy verged into boyhood, boyhood into down-lipped youth. Youth into bearded, indefinite young manhood. Indefinite young manhood into definite manhood. Definite manhood with large, aggressive ambitions. Into sobered and heedful husbandhood and fatherhood. These into troubled and foreboding age, with graying hair, this into old age, white-headed, the temple empty, the idols broken, the worshippers in their graves, nothing left but you, a remnant, a tradition, belated fagand of a foolish dream. A dream that was so ingeniously dreamed that it seemed real all the time. Nothing left but you, center of a snowy desolation, perched on the ice summit, gazing out over the stages of that long trek, and asking yourself, Would you do it again? If you had the chance. End of chapter two hundred and thirty seven. Aftermath. Read by John Greenman.